I think it's cute how every time you talk about like an episode, you call it on another podcast, but like <laughs> that's right. It's implying that it's a totally different podcast from ours. I didn't realize that. I'll try to change that. No, I, just, I think it's cute. And I want to be cute. Okay. I want to be, be cool professional and, and cool. professional. <laughs> I want to be a professional podcaster. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. Yeah, we try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello, and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And it's so good to have you with us again. Thanks. I'm always here, though. It's good to have the <laughs> listeners with I us. I wasn't actually talking wow. to you just okay. then. I was, I mean, I'm really <laughs> glad you're here. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. appreciated. Because, whew, it would be rough without you. <laughs> I cannot imagine doing a podcast by yourself. Anyone who does that is just a god among men. And since you do all the technical stuff, I would be screwed. Because I <laughs> would just upload unedited stuff. I would just like push my little cassette tape recorder. <laughs> and mail every listener a tape. If you'd like my podcast, please send me a self-addressed stamped envelope. And I'll send, send you a me, cassette. Send me a postcard and I'll send you a tape. It would be scary. Yes, sipsters. I will give all the kudos to Anna. She is our technical director. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I like production that Production manager, supervisor. I can't think of any sure. other terms. Yeah. You're the boss, basically. I'm the boss. Uh-huh. You're the boss it of me. It feels like. <laughs> it sure feels like it. So back in the day when you were little and you would say, you're not the boss of me to me, your mommy. I was just seeing into the future. You knew was what foresight. was going to happen because then I would have to say, you are the boss of me, Anna. <laughs> so holding out for a day when that was true. You're the boss of me, Anna. I don't think that's true. I'm still holding out. <laughs> You're the boss of me in this podcast. Be playing with our little mascot, the little fluffy podcast that has a thing to say. I can't say his name, so I just, hey, hey, I don't think that's... <laughs> Okay, that was Anna pounding on her little No, it was Podcast.Dot. Oh, Podcast.Dot. Can we think of a short name that I can call him? Potty? (laughs) Do we like it? Do we like it? I kind of like it, actually. Tater Tot? Potty. I'm going with potty. (laughs) It's a potty. Our little toilet. Okay, so we're kind of into October. We had apple pie. What was it called? Just apple pie. Apple pie shot to begin our podcast today. Uh, It is prescribed by Dr. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Who's his name? Dr. McGillicuddy. It's a type of alcohol, Mom. Did you never drink Dr. McGillicuddy? No. I'm not much of a drinker, Anna. So, we're in the middle of October. Middle of October. We've done some spooky episodes. We did a spooky episode about experiments uh-huh, a little bit uh-huh. uh we did that's one spooky, yeah. about horror movies and <gasps> that why was really spooky them. that was mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. 
What are we talking about today about spooky stuff? Well, it's kind of, I'm not sure how to title it exactly. I guess we will call this episode Near-Death Experiences. That is a fair thing to call it. And for those who enjoy, when we just use the letters, we'll call them N D. Okay. <laughs> but for those But you who already don't, explained what it means, so yes, it's fine. Yes, okay, all right, I'm good. Okay. So when we were talking about doing this uh, particular episode on our podcast, just, which is called Freudian Sips. <laughs> I just got on mom's tail for calling like different episodes like on another podcast we talked about yada, yada, yada. And she was like, okay, I'll stop. So that was a very pointed thing she just said. She stared into my eyes. I am still your mother. <laughs> Hello, I, I am your mother. I know, you won't let me forget it. <laughs> so as we talked about doing this one, I had shared with Anna that right now in my life experience, because we've shared that my husband passed away a few months ago. So right now, talking about near-death experience, and you know, I have been, people have been giving me books to read about heaven. I'm holding one in my hand right now. brandishing it at me. This particular book is by John Burke. It's called Imagine Heaven. And it is a very cool book. I'm I'm about a third of the way through it. I first got it right after my husband passed away and I started reading and I just couldn't really. It was a little too much. But have been reading it and it's really good. It's very, actually very research-based. Like he he quotes a lot of research and then he talks about people who share their personal experiences with near-death experiences. So it's kind of close to home, like emotional for me Mm -hmm. to talk about near-death experience. And yet we're doing it kind of in the spookyville because (laughs) anything to do with death is kind of a little spooky. It's kind of a universal fear is the fear of death. That's a good way to say it. And it's something that even the people who are okay with the theory of death and the thought of death it's still like it's mm-hmm. a bit of an unknown. No matter mm-hmm. how you know what you believe with your faith, what no matter what you believe about the afterlife, it's still like there's that. Oh, I don't actually know. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know what's going to happen. So it's always a little bit of a fear, right? So so that's why we're including it in the Spookyville. Yeah, Spookyville. <laughs> Welcome to Spookyville, population <laughs> Anna and Bonnie. Yeah. Right. So and Sipsters. <laughs> Welcome to Spookyville. So we stay we- at Spooky Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I have images of all those animated, you know, the ones with the little vampires and all those animated shows. Transylvania, what's that one called with the little Hotel Transylvania? Yeah, or with the, with Adam Sandler, yeah, doing his thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Those are my horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spooky limit. Or Casper the Friendly Ghost. That was another one of my spooky. Movies. I love that movie. Like unironically, that's a great movie. <laughs> it's very deep, actually. It is. Yeah, it's very emotional. It w- it's a good movie to watch Halloween kind of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course it is. That and the one if with you the have kiddos with the witches. Hocus Pocus. Yeah, yeah. Hocus that's Pocus got a is lot a great of deep, movie. Deep meaning in it. Yeah, yeah. Those it's those good old fashioned like nineties like. "Quote unquote kid, yeah. Well, I can say that uh, I was alive then, but it's like I'm gonna say old fashioned because kids' movies like in the in the aughts and the tens are not really like that. Where there are some where it's like like Inside Out and that kind of stuff are more. That was deep. a good movie, yeah. But like Hocus Pocus and stuff has. Some pretty dark themes, but it's a kids' movie, right? It is. It's one of those I mean, movies. It's about that, like witches stealing kids' spooky. souls. It's, it's and they're going to eat them, basically. Yeah. 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 Okay. So near death experiences yeah. for today's episode 
on Freudian sips. So we could have to kind of have a definition of that. So this would include like people who have actually like their physical body has shut down. They okay. have died basically. They've been, they are considered physically dead. All the way, there's the spectrum. We always talk about spectrums. There's a spectrum from like people who actually are dead, dead, physically dead, brain dead, you you name it. Yeah. All the way to the the other end (laughs) where you have people who have just like a almost, almost dying experience and the fright kind of sends them. Like the life flashes before your eyes Exactly. Okay. All the way then continuing on the spectrum to people who are like in comas. Oh. Comatose patients. Where is that on the spectrum? Is it middle of the spectrum? Meh. I guess it would be, I guess the end of the spectrum would be people who are just like frightened and they thought they were going to okay, die. Okay, yeah. And so coma would be when somewhere. You, when you're walking up a flight of stairs and you think there's an extra <laughs> stair, but there's not. <laughs> my life yeah, flashes yeah. before my eyes yeah. then. That's exactly right. Or coming God, down the stairs, especially feeling. in high heels. There's, yeah, <laughs> down is possibly worse because you know you're going to biff it harder. <laughs> but where is the There's end? this, uh... It's in the series of Unfortunate Events book, which are, uh-huh. is another kind of kid spooky yeah. content. Um, but he describes, this in the, like the first book, he describes the feeling of the kids losing their parents as when you're walking down a flight of stairs and you think there's an extra step. And when you step, your like stomach <sighs> drops out from under you. And he, That's I thought exactly that was, how unexpected death is. Yeah, I thought that That's was a really, a really good, good description. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what we're going to talk about basically is some of the some of the research that's been done because there has been a lot of research done. Actually, there have been records of near death experiences. People who we'll probably talk more specifically about people who have actually physically died and had an experience during that time period. Right. While their body is dead. That to me is what when I hear near death experience, that's what right. I think of. Right. That's what's I think uh, broadcast a bit more. So probably, even though this has gone on for for centuries, that people have had these experiences, kind of the breakthrough moment um, in our history was around 1975. Wow. When a book came out that was called Life After Life, which was written by a psychiatrist named Raymond Moody. This is probably the book, okay? But there have been like hundreds of... That's pretty recent, though. I know, I know. Because, and you know, as I, I mean, read as about it... as long as we've been dying, we've yeah, had near-death experiences, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but right up front, I'm going to put out that one of the things that I kept reading through the as I was doing the research was, you think about how much we've progressed just in, let's say, the last 50 years at yeah. keeping people alive or bringing people back from death. The resuscitation process that we have brought to such a point where we shock people back and we even now have a good grief in the back of the church. We have our defibrillator, you know, if somebody's heart stops, you shock them. And so medically speaking, we have come so far in being able to bring people back from being Mm -hmm. physically dead that there have been so many more that that experience of, of death has expanded so much. So that's kind of part of this conversation. There are a lot more people almost dying than there are people dying. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, there's still a lot of people dying too, but there are a lot of people who are coming back and, yeah. and people talking about it more because previously, and maybe perhaps the 1975 thing with Moody kind of opened a door for people to have a little more courage to talk about what they for had sure, experienced. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the biggest things that you read about when you do this research is that a huge part of this, a huge part of the issue of not really being able to do a lot of clear research is that people don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Because people will... Think they're weird. Yeah. Judge them. Exactly. They think it's creepy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it just inherently reminds them that they're going to die someday. Right. There's so, a lot There's a lot going on. Yeah. 
And I think that whenever you have some kind of experience that's not explainable, you very quickly, your rational brain starts to say, well, maybe that wasn't really what happened. Well, maybe I just thought that. Maybe that was a dream. Maybe, 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 maybe. Right. And so... Of course, there's a lot of research that tries to disprove that the near-death experiences are anything paranormal at all. They're not, you know, there's there's both sides of this coin. I'm going to focus mostly on the side of the coin that I prefer to focus on, which is that I do believe that it's a spiritual thing. I do believe it's paranormal, however you want to mm-hmm. word that. But that I makes guess it's spookier. Yes, go right. for that. Ooh. I mean, balance it out. We're a science <laughs> podcast. Well, okay, so let me let me kind of start with that balance part. Okay, okay. since we are a podcast about psychology, um, let me kind of throw in what some of the research has shown about the psychological explanations. Okay, okay, not only psychological but medical explanations. So there are four main themes that go into basically debunking. You know, that there is actually something happening after life. So the first one is, uh, in psychological terms, I'm using psychological issues here, that that near-death experience is a sort of depersonalization, that there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of unknown, and so your brain goes into a defense mode where you basically have hallucinations. Right. And you step out of the norm, of the reality of death, yeah. and you start to hallucinate to try to ease your way through It's like a dissociation thing. Right. Have we talked about dissociation? I feel like we've mentioned it a few times. I don't know if we've really Dissociation. I think we have deep, several have times talked about it. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the four. Oh. So depersonalization and dissociation are two separate, but on the same... They're very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. That they're both defense mechanisms yeah. where we try to protect ourselves from this horrible thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. We're dying. We're dying. That's not fun. The no. body's like, hey, I don't enjoy this. Right. I don't want to do the this. Brain, the brain goes, this isn't fun for me. And, and quite, go somewhere else. Quite often there is some physical pain associated well, with yeah. the death. So it's dying. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not just like And we... it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant <laughs> things that are going on. <laughs> I personally don't like dying, so I'm going to not. Right. Right. I, I'm going to refer back to my mom later because we're going to talk about mom. Sorry. In this podcast, we're going to talk about my mom a <laughs> little bit. Why are we apologizing? She's great. <laughs> we should not apologize. She was an awesome person. Um, Mama, if you're here right now, say something in the mic while I pour my drink. <laughs> Mama would say, pour me a fuzzy navel, Anna. That's what I almost, Mama would say. Uh, I almost suggested doing something with peach schnapps yeah. in honor of her. I remember distinctly, this is totally off topic, when uh, you're like, Anna, come here. And I like went into the kitchen and you're like, I found a bottle of peach schnapps. Have a shot with me in honor of mama. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to do that. Mothering 101 right there. And now, now look at us. You were preparing us for our future I was just setting joint the stage. endeavors. <laughs> setting the stage. I was testing you to see how you'd handle that for, a, for future. Did I raise a wuss? Let's see. <laughs> Okay, where were we? I, I don't, don't know. know. Talking about near death. But one of the four, you said one is depersonalization. Right, depersonalization. Dissociation is another one that is that kind of the idea of our bodies just trying to, I was going to say something about mom, but I don't remember what it oh, was I'm now. sorry. Oh, well, we'll come back to it. It'll probably come back to me later. When I listen to the podcast, You're I'll be, be like, like, that's oh, what I was going to say. <laughs> okay, I'm telling you four psychological explanations. So I've done two. Wait, the, can you tell the difference what they distinguish between depersonalization and dissociation 
the depersonalization is more focused on hallucination. Okay. So you're actually creating this world that you're stepping into. Right. The dissociation is more just like leaving. Out of body? Yeah. Okay. Like focusing on floating out kind of thing. Okay. A third psychological explanation for near-death experiences is what they call the expectancy model. Which is basically that we have, through our lifetime, built up an expectancy of what's going to happen when we die. We're going to right. go and meet our relatives. And, and so basically our brain is playing out the expected outcome. One of the things that they use to debunk that. The debunk the debunk the debunking, yeah. Is that in little children <laughs> a, who have... A not, rebunking, if right. you will. <laughs> That uh, there are, are many, many, many examples of little children who talk about their death experience who have not been set up for an expectancy model. Okay. So they have not been told, you're going to meet your relatives, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. They're little tiny. I mean, even like like babies who have a death experience and then in their toddlerhood and young childhood tell the stories of what happened. Huh. There's There are lots of examples like that. Maybe it's a... It's a archetype thing. We will come back to oh, that. Oh, we will. Oh, yeah, Put you mentioned that. Put a pin in Yihang because in we will come back to him. Okay. Like big time. Oh, okay. He's a big chunk of this. <laughs> He's a big chunker. Uh, <laughs> He's not, not true. At all. That's not true. <laughs> Okay, the fourth uh, psychological explanation, and this is, I, in my opinion, the weirdest of all, is called the birth model. And the people who have supported this idea is that <laughs> when we, <laughs> I think it's I weird. love that noise you make. <laughs> I love that like laugh existential sigh noise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they believe that in that moment of the death experience that we relive our birth experience. And that's why it's going through the dark tunnel into I the light. <laughs> That's I'm not. I'm not shitting you. <laughs> That's what you were thinking, dumb. isn't it? <laughs> Are you shitting dumb. me? No. No, shitting. no. I think. I don't think you're shitting me. I think they're shitting they're themselves. Shitting okay. I will buy that. <laughs> so then, the debunk debunkers of the debunkers, the rebunkers, who said, please, please use the terminology. <laughs> the rebunkers. Thank you. Say that this is hooey. These are all technical terms. Hooey, yeah. Rebunking, that's in the research. And it's uh-huh. hooey. Because in the studies that they've done, they have also done comparison between people who were vaginal births versus people who were cesarean births. And people who were cesarean births also Still had the, the tunnel. tunnel event. So rebunk. Oh, that seems like such a weird study to have to do. I just pictured some scientist going like, God, this is a study and we have to do it. Somebody has to do it. To tell these people that they're weird. It's... It's out of my hands. <laughs> okay. So I, I kind of just do that at the beginning to put it to the side, to say okay. there is a lot of research out there that's trying to say that near-death experiences really are not supernatural, are not spiritual. Mm-hmm. They're just our brain doing funky, funky stuff. Right. And and you can read all about it because there's a lot out there about that. But I have to be, I'm trying to be objective in saying it seems that there's just as much, if not more, that says... Uh, you can't explain this. <laughs> yeah, And that's, I think, the bottom line. And you and I have done this before when we talk about research. The bottom line is they can't say There's a lot we what it is. don't know. Right, exactly. And this is this is big time that. Yeah. Okay, so let me, I'm going to go to Young for a minute. Because we, we kind of put that pin in. That was a in. quick pin. We okay. put a pin in him. So I want to go back we to him for a minute. put a pin in him like a voodoo doll. <laughs> Did you know that Carl Jung had his own death experience? Really? Mm-hmm. When he was in a hospital in Switzerland in 1944, he had a heart attack and he died. 
and he had a vivid encounter with light, with a bright light. (laughs) His was very unique. It was like he left the earth and he was like, the way that his book says is he was about a thousand miles above the earth. Whoa. And this was in 1944. So it was like before all the astronauts seeing the, yeah, all that cool stuff. And actually, Carl Jung talked about his near death experience in one of his books, in, in like he went into it deep. All right. And it actually did kind of change the way he looked at everything. He went and God was like, okay, this is going to sound weird. But we have archetypes, and they're <laughs> it's uh, it's it's we inherit them, and we uh, and listen to the fourth episode of Freudian Sips. They're gonna do an episode about you. He knew everything. <laughs> you know, when I was reading about Carl Jung in this, it went on for a long time about his break with Freud, and we did talk about that in episode four. four. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was a long time ago. It was. That's one a good episode, though. They should listen Solid. to that one. Yeah, and about how that made him feel so like he always had to prove himself his break with freud made him very paranoid about people thinking he was almost like he had daddy issues or something exactly (laughs) but his spirituality i win (laughs) he was very guarded about his spirituality you know but he was out there we talked about that in episode four that he was very spiritual and kind of out there on the edges of spirituality And he based a a huge part of his research, he based on another person's near-death experience. And he, and this whole book that he wrote, one of his books is about this woman's near-death experience. And so there's a lot. If you look at, if you look at Young, he really supports the idea that indeed there's something when we die. It's It's supernatural. It's not, exactly. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. It's not just your brain. Right. Having some kind of weird brain thing. Okay? Okay. So that's young. Okay. It's young. I'm going to go back to Raymond Moody, who's the guy who wrote the book. Right. Life Life. After Life Life. in 1975. Life to life. Because even though there's been a buttload of research about all this, that's a technical term. Again, technical term, term, yes. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. A buttload about rebunking. (laughs) We kind of go back to him. Because he kind of, you know, put the base on all well, this. Well, he opened the door. I mean, we and we talked about that in our Freud episode, which is our very first, that like we go back to the ones that are pioneers, even if we don't necessarily agree with them, because they opened the doors for the discussion. Basically. That's right. And even if you don't really agree with everything they say, you that's the bottom line right yeah. there. Yeah. So let me tell you about what he says are kind of like the common elements of okay. near-death experiences, okay? okay? Cool. This yeah. is according to Moody. And it's been reinforced through other research, but this we're going to go back to him. And not all people who go through near-death experiences have all of these things. Um, and some people have things that aren't on the list. Okay. So, But these are the basic things. An overwhelming feeling of peace and well-being, including freedom from pain, which makes sense. That goes with the depersonalization thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. it goes to, we, we do that, we kind of intentionally do personalize with clients when they're going through something traumatic or when we're teaching them to like escape a panic attack or something that the guided imagery and stuff is kind of a form of depersonalization exactly. where you go to your happy place. That's a very mm-hmm. common one. Mm-hmm. But so I can see how that would drive with that theory. That particular theory, yes. Okay, the second one is the impression of being located outside their physical body. So like actually leaving Mm -hmm. their body. That's a huge one. Okay. That's like the most common. Okay. That they feel themselves leave their body in some way. The next one is floating or drifting through darkness, sometimes described as a tunnel. The vaginal birth tunnel, yeah. The birth tunnel, yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
The next one is becoming Some aware. Some scientist is like, listen, they <laughs> they experience it because cesareans want to have a vaginal birth. <laughs> They're longing for the In tunnel. In this TED Talk, I will talk. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> the next one is becoming aware of the light, whatever that is. A golden light, a very bright light, yada, yada. The next one is encountering and perhaps communicating with the being of light. Oh. So a significant being that we're communicating with that's... Uh, the light. The yeah. light, okay. The next one is having a rapid succession of visual images. So that's like that reviewing your life right. thing. Which actually isn't as common as, it's not one of the most common. I was going to say, yeah. do, it's these, kinda on the do lower these come end. with like, and this many percent of people experience this and this many? Not, not every so study concrete. is different. Yeah. Right. But the percentages aren't as high as you think they would be. When you read it, you're like, okay, 50%? Well, that's not that much, no. you know. Because I'm curious to know how many people experience the being of light. Oh. Because. That is one of the highest ones. Is it? I think the highest one is the leaving your body. And the second highest thing is the being of light. Oh, I'm just looking through a book. I am looking through a book now. Now, this is according... And so this book that I was talking about, John Burke's book, his book is basically like he did a lot of research and he quotes all the research. It's not like he did individual research. Yeah. Although he did talk to people individually. Sure. But he did a whole... The first whole part of the book is kind of about the research. He's quoting research. So he's quoting... In this part of the book, he's quoting Dr. Long... Research that Dr. Long did, which I cannot tell you who Dr. Long is, except that's what it says. My my college creative writing teacher was Dr. Long. <laughs> I don't think he's the one, I think one, it's the though. same guy. Maybe it is. But according, these these are percentages for you. The out-of-body experience is 75%. So 75% of the people they studied. That's still, that's high. They specifically. But like, so when we think of a, an experience like this, sometimes we have like, and you have to meet these criteria mm-hmm. for it to be this thing. Because... Mm-hmm. How is it a near death if you don't leave your And I'm going to get to that because there's another guy who has an actual scale. Grayson is the doctor's name, and I'm going to get to him in just a moment. Okay. And he actually created a scale that it's like a (laughs) self-test. Like, did you do this? Did you do that? And you have to hit. How near is your death experience? Were you near enough to actually. Were you near enough to actual death? (laughs) So the encounter with the brilliant light is about 65%. Okay. Over Well. Passing through the tunnel is only 33%. So. Yeah. A life review is only 22%. That's really low. Mm-hmm. That's, that tracks with, because I, I didn't do research on this. If you haven't noticed, Sipsters, we are trying a thing where mom is doing the bulk of the research and the information mm-hmm. in this episode. Next but time Anna has to do it. I, <laughs> I'm up. <laughs> uh, but I like in the near death experience stories that I've read, a lot of people say like, you know, they say that your life flashes before your eyes and it doesn't. That didn't right, happen to right. me. Like a lot of people kind of point that out specifically as like that's a trope that people use, but it's not as common. Like right. it didn't happen to me. One of the things that I read was that in the research, that is more common for those people. Remember we talked about the spectrum? Mm-hmm. The people who don't actually die, but they think they're going to die. Oh, yeah. I can see that. That's that's the people who have that flash of like, oh my God, I, I've done all these things wrong or I've done these things right. I, that were good or I haven't done enough good or whatever. I double it's, parked yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like those woo, yeah. things. Yeah. Okay, um, let me, uh, since you talked about the scale thing, mm-hmm. since you asked about the scale thing, let me skip to that. Okay. I'm turning my pages. Flippy, flippy, flap, flap. I'm turning my pages. Let me see. <laughs> 
<laughs> this I is- could cut it out if you weren't <laughs> narrating what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. Ah. I'm turning my pages. Okay. The guy's name is Charles it's Bruce. Mean. It's on record now that my mom's mean to me. Charles Bruce Grayson. He is a professor emeritus of psychiatry and neurobehavioral sciences at the University of Virginia. And he has co-authored several books, but the one I'm referring to is the 2009 book called The Handbook of Near-Death Experiences. And this test, this scale, is actually used now a lot by researchers. And it asks you questions about your experience. And you have to get, the, the way it's, remind me of what that's called when you have like a, a zero means no, a one means like you some. A Likert. Thank you. A Likert scale. Is that right? Yep, that's right. As soon as I hear it, I know it's right. I just, I can't get a sticker and be very proud of yourself. But you have to score at least a seven or higher to have officially had a near-death experience, an NDE. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to ask you, I'm just going to tell you what a couple of them are. And so zero is like, no, that didn't happen to me. One is like, yeah, sort of. And then two is, yeah. Ooh, yeah, for sure. Except they word it differently, but... That's my interpretation of it. <laughs> Two is, yeah, Zero. for sure, red. For sure, for sure. So the first one is, did time seem to speed up? Second one is, were your thoughts speeded up? Did scenes from your past come to you? Did you suddenly seem to understand everything? Did you have a feeling of peace? Did you have a feeling of joy? And then those it are co- separate? Yeah, those are separate. Did you, did you feel a sense of harmony or unity with the universe? That's... Okay, well, that's peace. That's, I mean, kind I don't the know. same thing. Yeah. But the, then it goes to, did you see or feel surrounded by a brilliant light? And then it kind of goes into more paranormal questions like, were your senses more vivid? Did you seem to be aware of things going on in other places, like ESP kind of stuff? Right. That's the thing that people say they do? Uh-huh. Has that been tested? Has that been independently verified? <laughs> Because well, like if they say like, oh, I think this was happening or I know this. Yeah. I'm going to, when I tell you at, in just a moment, I'm going to share a couple of stories with you. I, and uh, there's a couple things like that. I listened to a podcast called Hey Riddle Riddle. And one of the hosts, JPC, was talking about how his grandma was in a coma. Mm-hmm. And when she came out of the coma, the first thing she said was, did Tiger Woods have an affair? And it was oh. like three weeks before that news broke. <gasps> and so the family was like, what are you talking about? No. And then the news broke. <laughs> and everyone's she was like, like, oh my God, Grandpa. When, when she was floating around, she went to Tiger Woods and <laughs> yeah. saw he was God floating was around. God was like, I have something really important to tell you. <laughs> You're going to be breaking this news, Grandma. <laughs> You're going to be the first responder. here. And actually, when you read the research, the coma patients, in my opinion... Are the most amazing. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because I mean, I get the because I personally believe that when you die, you do go to another spiritual plane. I do believe that. I believe it's you know, for me mm-hmm. personally, I believe it's heaven. You go get to see Jesus. It's all good. Sure, great. <laughs> all the great stuff. I can't wait. All the great heaven stuff. Jesus and, yeah. You know, all my relatives will be waiting for me. All that cool stuff. <laughs> but the people who are like in a coma for like a week or even you know just Years. whatever, and they they talk about things that they saw yeah or you know things that happened while they were in a coma that to me is just like whoa because that gives us this look into the fact that our realm that we live in is not it you know there's yeah. so much else going on woo woo <laughs> Creepy. That's welcome ooh, to Spooks Town. Go to our Spookyville graveyard. It's the spookiest <laughs> place in Spookyville. Spooky, spooky town. Do you have a spooky boo boo? Go to our spooky hospital. 
So how about if if I get if I get real on you? Get, yeah, please. I prefer real. Yes. Let's thank get, you. Let's get, get real. real on you. Bring me the real. Okay. So you ask about the specific things that and and if you look at different research you can i mean there's all kinds of names i'm going to start throwing names but i'm not going to start (laughs) quoting all the research but here are names of people here are just some ideas from some of these studies some of this research okay um there is a researcher named pim van lomel awesome name i'm probably not saying his name right (laughs) at all but he did this big study about uh near-death experiences and one of the things he quotes in his study is that there was a man and this is actually quoted in my John Burke book too okay. because when I found it I was like oh I just read that in the book about this man who was I think he was having surgery of some sort and he died and they resuscitated him while they were resuscitating him they realized that he had like some dentures in his mouth so they were trying to resuscitate him and he had these loose this plate or whatever yeah and the nurse took it out of his mouth and like threw it in a drawer in this in the operating room <laughs> seems like a weird place to put like, it but okay where do i put these teeth <laughs> throw it in the I trash can, i can kind of relate to this because my husband <laughs> used to have he had hearing aids and so whenever he would go into surgery they'd have oh. to like take out his yeah. and then they would always say do you have any any dentures and they would like look mm-hmm. in his mouth and so apparently this guy got through the gate without getting his <laughs> dentures out this, that was this was the case that made the mask <laughs> that's that. probably it yeah and so while they were resuscitating, this happened. And then he went into a coma, and he was in a coma for several days. When he came out of his coma, they were like, did you have some dentures? I thought you had some dentures. And he and he told them the story of how they were trying to resuscitate him, like like step by step. Wow. He, and, he, and he at the end of the story, he said, and you, and pointed to the nurse and said, <laughs> you put them in that one drawer over there on the table, and he described it. And sure enough, that's where they were. Whoa. So, and there was... He was not only, at that point, he was not only in a coma when that was happening, but he was dead when they were trying to resuscitate him. And then he remembered it through all of his coma. <laughs> he held a I, grudge. I just think that's... He was like, he was hey, like bitch, I'm going to get hey, my teeth back. I need to give you a proper lesson on denture care. Okay, here's another one. So wait a minute, wait. Okay. <laughs> Go back to the denture thing. How does that play with, like, I don't know how much you looked at this for near-death experience, but, like, the stats on if coma patients can hear us when we talk to them, basically. Yeah, see, I didn't. That's how a, aware are they of that? Right, that's a whole different Because I can realm. see if we are looking at it as, like, there's awareness. You, you keep awareness until right. a certain point. Right. Even if, like, your heart has stopped beating, if you have awareness consciously... But you wouldn't, you he wouldn't, dead. nobody said, I'm putting these dentures in this drawer. I mean, he saw it happen. And okay. he knew, like, he described who it was that did it and all that. Okay. And so if he heard it. But if it's like a, you know, when we go through like a really adrenaline fueled situation, our senses get higher and like we're better able to kind of tune, tune our hearing Other and senses, stuff. yeah. That if you're like, like I'm picturing like laying on a table being resuscitated which is a very she's alarming closing thing to mention. Right. I'm, go- I'm going into she's the doing moment. it she's pl- and role playing and I like here Seth here would love this like a like a drawer <laughs> <laughs> you're not holding my hand so it's not it's not a satire thing but like I'm picturing like hearing a drawer open and closing while there are all these people rushing around like pounding your chest and hooking you up to electrodes and sticking tubes down your throat you're gonna hear a freaking drawer open I don't know I don't know how senses I'm work. rebunking you. Rebu- <laughs> you just debunked me, but I rebunked you. Okay, you rebunked me. Good job. You rebunked me real good. Okay, here's one for you. 
Here's one. Debunk it's this. It's debunking the title of this episode. I think it is. <laughs> so these researchers are named Melvin Morse and Kim Clark. That's all I know about it. <laughs> you have to be illiterate uh, <laughs> to be in this study. Jim Johnson was invited. He couldn't make it. Joe Smith. Joe Smith. Uh, no. It it's not illiterate. No, it doesn't move at all. <laughs> I had to go back in my brain to what that means. Okay. Anna, you're making it hard for me to concentrate. Sorry, sorry. What happens when I don't have notes? Okay. So they had the story about this woman who... I don't know how to tell the story. She was in a coma for quite some time. She left, according to her, she left her body uh, during near death, like when she was resuscitated. She left her body and she like went out the window of the hospital. (laughs) She's like, and like flew up. (laughs) And while she was out there flying around, she noticed that on the third floor outside of this building, the third floor outside the window, there was a shoe like sitting on a ledge outside on the third floor where you couldn't see from down on the ground, okay? okay? You looked up, you couldn't see the shoe. And it was a very specific shoe. I can't remember how she described it, but, oh, she noted that the shoe had a worn little toe, like the edge of the shoe was oh. worn on the little toe edge. Sure. And the shoelace was tucked beneath the heel. So when she came out of her coma, she said that to someone. There's a there's a shoe up, you know, this she said I flew out. She explained Again, it. Weird thing to retain. You know what I mean? I think it's a way of proving that you actually did it. I because guess. you could say to somebody, I flew out my body and flew up the side of the building right. and I was looking at the windows. But if you say, dude, there's a shoe on the third floor and they and so they literally did it. They the, verified it? Uh-huh. They went up and like we're looking so out all the third. So that's what I meant when I said like, has that been verified? Yeah. So this one has. Okay. That's cool. In that's that way. Awesome. The shoe was indeed precisely where the patient had described it. You could not see it from lower levels. Like you okay. couldn't look up and see the shoe. It was, you, you were. You had to be flying around or looking out the window You were at preemptively it. rebunking mm-hmm. me because that was going to be my question. And so, <laughs> so Clark, Kim, Kim? Clark Kim concluded, Clark. quote, the only way that the patient could have had such a perspective was if she had been floating right outside in a very close range so that she could actually see the shoe was worn on mm-hmm. one edge. And when she found it, she retrieved the shoe and brought it back to the patient. And the patient like said, yeah, that's exactly what I saw. That's yeah, that's the shoe. <laughs> and then she put it in shadow box. Yeah, she's and still in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there are, if you if you do start to read... If you go online and you look to see stories of near-death experiences, you you find everything from, well, like there's a very famous book oh, about the little boy. Heaven is for Real. Heaven is for Real. Yeah. And boy, that made a big splash, you know. That but was a big book when it came out. A big that- part of that was that while he was on the operating table, he later described how his dad was in the chapel praying and his mom was in the waiting room calling people. And, and yeah, you could debunk that and say, well, that's what would happen. You know, that's he could use his imagination. But like he quoted the things that his dad had said in the chapel when he was praying and hmm. those kind of things. And I'm not saying that I 100% believe every person who's ever told a right. near-death experience. Right. I'm not saying that. But the the piles of evidence are like overwhelming. So, okay, now personal experience. Okay, yes. My mommy. Yeah. My mommy. Your mama. My mama. Um, actually, my mom had a couple of near-death experiences. but <laughs> She was almost dying right in life. Which is really. actually another thing in the research that often people who have had one will have more than one. 
which is kind of creepy and good and yeah. cool and weird. But We've got practice. <laughs> I think the most significant one that my mom used to tell was, and she, before I even say this, I have to say that she told me this when I was, no, I don't know. I remember first hearing it when I was uh, an older child. I was going to say it was a pretty older child story. Yeah, she told it several times. Yeah. But she did tell me that she didn't tell people at first. Oh. Because she didn't think people would believe her. Right. And that's kind of the theme that goes through all this research is that people don't want to say it because yeah. they don't think people will believe them. So mom was, my bro- my little brother was the third child that my mom gave birth to. And there was a lot of birth trauma. My little brother was, he wasn't, a breech baby, but for lack of a better way to describe it, it was like he was trying to be born chest first. So he had his head, <laughs> he had his head pushed back, and he was trying to come out and with his chest. That was not funny because it sounds very it's traumatic, horrible. It was but, very traumatic. Uh, it just the mental image of the baby right. going like this, this way, this, this way, like this, this. How you want me to do it? Like this? Yeah. And my brother was a big baby, and mom was a little person, so there was a lot going on. He was overdue by almost a month. Wow. And he wow. was born in 64, which is another thing. You know, in those days, they didn't do C-sections very easily. Because when I when I remember, as I think back on it, I think, gosh, mom, after three weeks, when you go in I was, and say, I'm Dude. very surprised they yeah. didn't do yeah. that anyway. Yeah. But I guess, yeah. But that's, that was the day Product where they didn't. The yeah. C-sections were very rare. She, at least around here, let's put it that way. <laughs> so she went in. We didn't get C-sections in Illinois we until didn't like know that. 1984. <laughs> so during the birth experience, and we had a we did an episode about hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember which episode that was? Nope. That's I a test for you. And mom had done hypnosis for my birth, but it didn't work very well for my birth because my birth was very quick. But so then she really <laughs> she liked didn't even that. Get she didn't in get the hypnosis. She just, she's like, yeah, oh, I was, I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> but for my brother. Sixteen. 16. That was kind of the thing in the 60s, the hypnosis and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a precursor, like on the edge of the Lamaze. And we talked about thing. that in episode yeah. 16, that she found great use with right, that. Right. It really it worked good. for her. Yeah. yeah. So she had the person who was helping her with the hypnosis in the birth. And she was in that place of not feeling the pain because of the hypnosis. And the doctor basically made a comment like, if this child lives, this child is going to have a lot of deficits, you know, and a lot of mental issues, or I don't know how he said it. But that snapped mom out of her hypnotic place and immediately felt all the pain, which was extreme. It's like getting hit by a truck. And the way mom told the story was she died. She, that's when she died. And yeah, she your did. Yeah, body goes into she shock. She did literally die. So the way mom told the story was that she felt her she felt herself leave her body very quickly, like be pulled out very quickly out of her body. And she was in the corner of the room, up in the corner of the room looking down. Like on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And this was like those those things where the man saw the people trying to resuscitate him. Yeah. Mom was on the ceiling being aware that they were not resuscitating her because they were trying to deliver the baby. So the baby wouldn't die too. Wow. And they didn't want to like do any major resuscitation to her until they got the baby out. And she was aware of all this very quickly. You know, like it was just like there. But she did not feel alarmed. She felt very much at peace. And she said she stayed there for a moment. And then she got pulled out of the room. And then her next realization was that she was walking along a path. At the end of the path was a very bright light, but it was a beautiful, she said it was just beautiful. It wasn't a vaginal birth canal. She wasn't walking it was not, a vaginal birth did canal. did not look like a vaginal birth canal at that point. <laughs> but she said she but was... But that's interesting that it was a path instead of a tunnel. Yeah, I right. mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Mama was more chill. She was just like, I'm not about that tunnel right. business. 
So she um, was aware that she was walking with a being, with someone. As See, she okay. This is why it's in Spookyville for me. Mm-hmm. Because like even just the thought of like walking with like an unknown entity is like, uh-huh. like it gives me a little bit of a chill. Uh-huh. I know, it's a little spooky, even if it's like a positive. It's a good chill, but it is spooky because yeah. it's the unknown. So she was aware that he was like a being of light was the way she described him. Right. She would then say, I believe it was my guardian angel because that was her personal faith mm-hmm. that her guardian angel was walking with her. And she said they were talking, but they weren't talking like with their mouth, right? So it was mental. <laughs> talking with your brain. Yeah. Mental communication. And she felt very at peace and very full of joy. But then she, she was aware that she would be leading my dad with three little children. Yeah. And dad, who is now in heaven. <laughs> bless, bless his heart. I love you, dad. But yeah, bless his I soul. get why mom was a little concerned about <laughs> She's that. like, no, 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 and no, no, so, no, no. And so according to mom, she said to the angel, I can't go. I can't leave Bob, her husband. My dad was Bob. I can't leave Bob with three little kids. He'll he'll never make it. He won't survive. Those kids won't make it. <laughs> That's right. And so according to mom, the the angel, the being, kind of gave her a choice and said, okay, it's up to you. You can keep going. We can go forward. Or you can go back. It's up to you. And mom said, I, I don't want to leave, but I have to go back. Yeah. And so then she said that what happened is that he, he I'm using that term, but sure. that's not right. The being put hands <laughs> on her shoulders. Genderless angel person. <laughs> and kind of like turned her around physically turned her around so she was facing the other side you know turned her around and in that moment then she was bam back in her body and Whoa. felt them resuscitating her and pounding on her and all the and all the pain came back and all of the realization of being in her body again so when i looked at this scale this grayson scale like she was like a 14 or something I, okay, you so only have to be a seven i was gonna go, going back to that scale uh-huh. it seems easy to get seven yeah that's yeah. I, I don't know doesn't seem like a balanced scale to me but okay yeah. yes right. that is but i do believe that i mean i believe it not only because my mom would never lie about anything no, yeah, yeah but i i believe it because of my spirituality and what i believe about life after mm-hmm. this life mm-hmm. so when i hear those kind of stories i'm with you it is spookyville and so that that enters that then takes me to the realm of like my husband just passing away about three months ago and and I have so many nights and those of you who have lost loved ones I'm sure you've gone through this where you have those times where you think what did he see what happened in those moments when he left what was it that he saw what was it that he experienced in one of the um I'm a Catholic Christian so so my faith is that that when I die I get to meet Jesus and in one of the stories in this book by John Burke this woman was telling the story of when she died and she said and she she was a Christian and she talked about hugging this person like she came up to this person who was standing there and she like was embraced by him and the way she described it I just I was like sobbing when I was reading it because it was about how she could feel like his beard against her cheek and and the image that we have of Jesus Christ in our faith is that you know he was this bearded man when he was in his physical body he was a bearded man and so I have this image of of that moment when you die and and there you are 
getting a hug seems like a good thing to happen right after you die. Right. Like, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Here you go. Bring Dude. it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. Dude, you've been this through sucks. a lot. <laughs> it's like, you, need, you just need a good old hug. Right. So when you read about the near-death experiences, I don't want to make it all fluffy, fluffy, because it's not. There are some pretty negative kind of experiences that happen really? to people where they experience, you know, kind of for lack of a better term, like a hell kind of experience. Yikes. But what, is there any research on people of other faiths? They have very, very similar beings of light. And that is one of the things that, that is kind of universal. The being of light is universal. The leaving your body is universal. And there's, there's, there are numbers that, uh, I'm shuffling. <laughs> uh, I'm That's shuffling. shuffling noise. Because the numbers are overwhelming. The latest research shows 200,000 Americans a year have a near-death experience. That's a lot. Uh That's that's Uh so many. And here's another little statistic. About 10% of all people in this study that included 35 countries. Okay. So 10% of all people in 35 countries. 70 people, though. It's... Little tiny countries. <laughs> Just two no, for me. This was something that came up in the Fifth European Academy of Neurology Congress. Hoity McToity McToity Land. Yeah. Hoity McToity Land is the stupider cousin to Spookyville. Everyone leave Hoity McToity Land and come to Spookyville. Yes. But I would throw in there that that is part of the research. And if you if you read into it, that they try to look at, you know, it's not just Christians. Yeah. It's not just, you know, Hindus. Yeah. It's not just Jewish people. But like people across the spectrum. Now, I, one more thing I got to throw in. Do it. Throw it at me. The, here, oh, she, I, she, not, she actually threw a thing. throwing things. Blind people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, I thought, this kind of just made me like goosebumps. They've done lots of studies, but one of the primary studies was done in 1997 by Dr. Kenneth Ring and his assistant, Sharon Cooper. And they did um, research on blind people who had been blind their whole life. So they had never had visual experience to the point where like their optic nerves they were either non-existent or they right, didn't work. That's, right. I mean, they were consistently blind from birth. Consistently blind. Consistently, <laughs> they, it's not like they lost their vision. So they had no experience of visual stimuli. Right. And they had near, these people that they were studying who had near-death experiences. And they had the visual side of it. And they could describe, you know, the visual, everything that they otherwise wouldn't know what and not only that, but there was also part of that that went into the visual, like the seeing the doctors who were working on them oh, yeah. to resuscitate them, being able to describe what the doctors were wearing, the kind of shoes the nurses had on, Whoa. those kind of things. And they were people who were blind who otherwise obviously would not be describing mm-hmm. what kind of shoes somebody was wearing. So That's super cool. There's a whole bunch of research about that. So that's just like one more little thing to throw on the pile as I walk away from the pile. And flip it off. And say, woohoo, <laughs> near-death experiences. <laughs> They're spooky Near but death cool. experiences. They are cool. So, Neat. Yeah. It gives us that feeling like there's a lot out there. Yeah. There's a lot that we don't know and that we might not be able to explain. Right. So, so coming all the way back around to the other side of the fact that our podcast is psychological in nature, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that as clinicians, as therapists – the idea of near-death experiences is something we need to kind of have in our back pocket is that, first of all, people who have experienced it maybe have not told anybody. Yeah. 
It may be one of those things and that it could people be, need a space to tell. It could be a significant thing to yeah. tell your therapist. And another thing is that often when people have near-death experiences, it literally changes their life. Yeah. Usually for the better. Usually makes them want to accomplish more, want to be a better person or <laughs> however that fits. Right. And the last one would be a, a kind of on the negative side, but still needs to be mentioned that, that this kind of experience sometimes causes like a PTSD that if a person has had a near-death experience going forward. It's the actual near-death. Right. If they have like a positive near-death experience. It's the actual dying Almost dying could give you trauma. Right. So sometimes you need to have a counselor help you through that kind of experience. I mean, we don't want to be too in the box here. If you've almost died at some point, even if you're listening to this and you're like, I almost died and I didn't have an experience like that, that might be a thing to talk about too. And like, that almost dying could give you trauma and that even if you didn't have one of these near-death experiences, it doesn't make your trauma any less valid. I'm going to put a little thing out there and then put a pin in it as we end. We don't we don't have time for pins. It's going to be a pin till the next episode even. Mm. That remember when we talked about hypnosis and how some people are more susceptible to hypnosis? Yeah. Some of the research shows that people who are more open to near-death experience, like all the whole broad thing, has to do with their REM huh. and even having those wakeful dreams. Yeah. That might that might come up in a future. Oh, it might come up in a future. It might happen sometime down the road. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's near death experience. Not a Fun. real cheerful thing, but a little spooky. Could be cheerful too, depending on how you look at it. I was going to say, it sounds like I a think lot it's of them pretty positive. cheerful. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it good sounds, stuff. There were some people who went to hell for a little while. It's all about the light. Whose fault is it's that? all about the love. <laughs> it's all about the good stuff. Yeah. Peace, getting hugs. Peace, joy, love. Getting, getting God hugs after you die. I'll take a God hug. Seriously. I will seriously take a God <laughs> hug. Okay, that's all I got. All right. And I don't got anything because I didn't do shit to research for you this did. episode. Well, the next time I get to say that. There you go. Do so we have we have one more spooky, spooky episode. We have a spooky, spooky episode for spooky, spooky Halloween week. And then we'll be done with that. And then you may exit Spookyville <laughs> on your left. And then we go into Appreciation Thanksgiving <laughs> Thanks, town. Thanksville. <laughs> Gratitude land. <laughs> Gratitude is big Gratitude. in counseling. Yeah. So wrap it up, baby. You wrap it up. You wrap it up. Okay, well, I will say thank you so much for listening. And um, I would encourage you, you know, we always talk about self-awareness. So if you have some stuff going on when you hear this episode about near death, whether it's your own personal issues or maybe you've lost someone yeah. and this brings up some issues of grief or some things that you need to talk about, uh, it's an awesome way to do it by talking to a good therapist, a good counselor who will help you with those situations. So yes. thank you for being a faithful sipster. <laughs> And please remember to rate us, review us, subscribe to us, interact with us on social media. Freudian Sips Pod is our name on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go to our site, freudiansipspod.com. Email us, freudiansipspod at gmail.com. Doing so many motions because I wish they could see your at motions. At some point, saying this stuff just gets so repetitive. But pretend like they've never heard it before. That's the whole thing. Uh, Somebody never heard it before. Okay. Okay. What do I? I don't. Well, that's a lot of pressure. Now I threw you off. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) We are still doing our review promo where if you review us, you rate us, and you send us a screenshot of it and your address, we will send you a sticker, a die cut sticker of our cool logo. 
And we are also promoting. I put it on the back of my car and it looks really cool. She has one on her car. She has one on her laptop. She has <laughs> one, one on my forehead. She, just, she sticks them on people. <laughs> As she walks by them, she sticks them on her shirt. They're graffitis. Yeah. <laughs> we have merch. Go to our com and there's a merch link. Go buy some merch. It's very cool and very soft. I'm wearing my Freudian Sips Pod sweater. Uh-huh. And it's so soft. It's so soft on the inside. Yeah, the material is awesome. It's very the nice. pictures are awesome. Well, thank you. Because my daughter designed them. I don't think you made the material, though, did you? I, <laughs> I weaved I know. I know. You like, caught the I little made, butterflies and took their silk. In the basement of my house. <laughs> on your little wheel-like <laughs> Cinderella or like Sleeping Cinderella, Beauty. Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The little no, spinning no, wheel. Like Cinderella. I make yeah, them with, I make them with a broom. It's not very efficient. <laughs> Get your fairy tales so buy, straight, for so God's sake. Buy my merch that I made with my own two hands. <laughs> <laughs> and even if you're not getting a sticker, leave us a rating and review because it'll make us happy. And and really, isn't that reward enough? <laughs> we're much easier to get along with when we're happy. Yeah, yeah. You'll like us better when we're happy. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. It sounds like this. Mm-hmm.